Anyway, let's All right, let's bring it in. Let's, let's go. get down to business to, to defeat, defeat the Huns. Is that what happens at the end? Great Stone Dragon, have you awakened? He's like, God uh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, cursing uh, uh. river. I love Mysterious the as the dark side of the moon. Mysterious as the dark side of the moon. Yeah, the key chain. Time is racing. Welcome to Soul Revival Digital. It's great to see you all again. I'm joined with Miss Katie Anderson and uh, Joel is on the panel, uh, not in the host position this mm, week, Joel. Yes, I noticed you didn't put a prefix on the start of my name like you did with Miss Katie Mr. Anderson. Mr. Joel. Okay. <laughs> That's the one. Now, did you guys, did you guys uh, coordinate for today? No. 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 Do you want to share, Katie? Yes. Enlighten so, the group? So, Dara and I have been friends for a very, very long time. Mm. And we just so happened in our history of friendship since we were six have accidentally quite frequently match. Mm, and we yeah. have like, Gemma has an album of all the times we've accidentally matched and we just mm. rocked up today and we we're like, oh, we've done it again. There was one week away though. I think it was, I think it was the most recent week away we yeah. had where we actually planned to match out. 2019. And we're like, let's pack the exact same. And we walked around together and, and no one noticed. And we like literally no one said anything. Gl- glued to each other's side. But when we were just try. waiting for someone to be like, yeah. huh, you guys are matching because everyone usually does. And no That's one it. said anything. But when we don't try, people notice. Yeah. I was like, how come the one time we tried, no one notices? It was a bit sad. But um. Yeah, that's the story of the jumpers. We've been asked a few times this morning, so there's the story. Mm, congrats, guys. That's great. <laughs> thanks, thanks, well, Joel. Well, speaking of apparel. Mm, yeah. yeah, look at what you're repping. You've yeah. got the Soul Revival the, merch. The Soul Revival merch is almost ready to go. So from mm. next week at soulrevival.shop, you can purchase your Soul Revival Sorry, merch. What was that again? Soul shop. Shop. Put it, Put it along here, please. Along here. From yeah. next week. So it's not ready yet. We're just putting the photos up and stuff, but after that, you can purchase it and it'll be ready, we reckon, for delivery before we go back to, di- to physical gatherings. That is very exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have a favourite at all? Do you have a favourite item from I, the collection? I, th- I think I'm wearing it right now. Oh, this, this one and the hat. The hat yeah, is the hat awesome. Yeah, the hat is a huge The vibe. hat is vibey. Uh, everyone, uh, I think that's going to sell really oh, here well. We here go, it comes here we go, right here we go. in. I think it's going to arrive. Oh. Oh. <laughs> here Look we go. at we'll that. Yep. Stunning. Well, inspired by... Matthew 22, 37 to 40, love God, love others. So check that out and make sure you zoom in on it. Um, but yeah, sorrowrevival.shop, we're really excited about it and uh, can't wait. We've shot a few video, exciting, it's a bit high, exciting videos and we're, we're stoked to be uh, be putting out some stuff. And to be ready for physical gathering, it's cool. Like you can wear it on mm. the first night we come, we come yeah. back. Oh my goodness, we can all match. We can all match, all coordinate. Well, oh my gosh, they don't even need to be on a text thread yeah, to do that, right? that's it. It's great to have you both here. And uh, now we're going to kick off with a song.
survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbidded, Lord, that I should boast, saving the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love. Love and sorrow me Our thorns compose So we shall crown Where the whole realm of nature mine That were an offering Far too small Love so amazing so divine demands my soul, my life, my ill. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love no mingle down. Did such love and sorrow me? Our thorns compose, so we shall crown. Survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. joined again with Katie and Lionel is here. Hello, Lionel. Hello, Gemma. Hello, Katie. Hi, It looks Lionel. like you were just having a little snooze. Are yep. you a bit tired? Yeah, very tired. Good night. Right. Why are you tired? Oh, hello, who said that? Hello. Um, <laughs> I watched the uh, Socceroos game and I'm tired. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Are Late they your favourite team? Yep. Oh, good, good. It's good that you're into sports. Yep. Um, so how's your week been, Lionel? What's been happening? Um, it's been good, been bad. Oh, why was it good? Good because I got ice cream! Oh, yum. And why was it bad? Because I was told I'm surprising. <gasps> and, yeah. And why were you told you were surprising? Well... I was told I was surprising and unexpected, and it was because I'm a bit loud sometimes. Oh, crazy. How did you feel about being called those things? Um, not so good. I felt like they were being mean to me. Did they say it in a mean way? Like, Lionel, you're surprising and unexpected. Um, kind of. How did they say it? 
They went like this. Uh, Lionel, you're so surprising and unexpected. Just like that. Lionel, I'm really sorry that that happened. But have you ever thought that maybe being surprising and unexpected could be a good thing? How do you mean? Well, surprises are sometimes good. And I think we've got a bit of a connection here with the story that we're going to be hearing from in the Bible tonight. Katie, Is it a surprise party? Oh, shush, you can't say that. Not quite a surprise party, but whenever you are organising a surprise party, Lionel, you've got to keep it a secret. Shh. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So in the Bible, the judges were people who could be described as surprising and unexpected as well. They, all these things happened that you could, they couldn't plan for and lots of people weren't ready for it. But being called surprising and unexpected is actually a really good thing because God is using those situations to, according to his plan and to help his plans become good and the way that they're meant to be. And God uses the judges in those ways in order to live live out according to his plan. So being called surprising and unexpected may sound bad, but it actually is really good because it means that you are flexible. You're flexible. And Very you flexible, are, look. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you are able to um, change things around really quickly and you are fun and you... Lots of fun. Lots of fun. And you do a whole bunch of things that might be surprising and unexpected, but those terms... Don't think about them being mean. Think it, take them as a compliment. Be like, oh, yeah, so I am a little bit of surprising and a little bit unexpected. But God used surprising and unexpected people and unexpected things according to his plan in hmm. Judges. So just think about it like that. And all these things, they pointed to Jesus, which was one of the biggest, coolest surprises that God sent his own son to die for us. Like how surprising is that? And it's so cool. So, so I feel cool. like I would take that as a massive compliment, Lionel. You know what? When they say that again, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm a judge. Ha! You're not a judge. Yes. Oh. Maybe don't say that. There, are, we don't have <laughs> judges anymore. Judges were people. Guilty. In, <laughs> judges were people in the time of the Bible where God used these people for a particular role. So we don't necessarily have a judge in that way anymore. We do have those type of guilty judges, but they aren't the judges we're talking about in the Bible. The oh. judges in the Bible are people who are sent from God to the people of the world to help get through some tough times and they are sent as God's representative Mm. to help lead their people through a tough situation Um, and sometimes that could be they're living in another people's land and God is helping them um, come out of that land and back into their home place through that judge. So the judges aren't like, you're guilty, you're not guilty. Judges are people who God sent to help his people, the Israelites in the Bible. Yeah. Cool. So I could be helpful then. Yeah, yeah. You can be helpful. I feel like that's a good way to be a good friend to those In people that call you. In unexpected ways. That's yeah. right. They'll be surprised after they tried to be mean to you that you were really nice to them. So that's a cool, surprising way to be a good friend. So anyway, I could say, I still want to be friends with you. It's okay. That's right. Forgiving them. That's Let awesome me sing your song. Oh, yes. I feel like we should hear this song and then we'll, uh, we'll say our goodbyes. But what's, what's your song, Lionel? I don't know. Oh. I, we'll have to make one up. Right. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to do an excellent job of making up a song. Uh, but thanks for having a little chat with us. Uh, we're going to be back very shortly.
Today's reading is Judges chapter 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehab was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Haroshi, Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots feet with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lepido, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decide. She sent for Barak, son of Abinon, from Kadesh in Bethvitali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Nephitali and Sabunum, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots, and his troops to Kinhor Weaver and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Sibunum and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heba, the Can the Canaanites, had left the other Canaanites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched ten by great tree in Sananiam, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Haroshi Hagayim to Kadesh Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots feet with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Haroshi Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba, the Canaan, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heba, the Canaan. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent 
and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Standing in the doorway of the tent, he told her, "If someone came by and asked you, is anyone in there?" Said no. But Jael, Heba's wife, picked up a tampit and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the pit through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, "I'll show you the man you are looking for." So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tampic through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hands of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Welcome back, everyone. I am joined again with Joel, and、uh, Paul is joining us because he's going to be giving us the sermon today.、Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going, Paul? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's good to hear.、Um, so I'll just let you kick off if you want to get cracking. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I'll start with a story about a friend of mine、uh, who was a director of a university student ministry group、um, at multiple campuses across. Whole country. They ran Bible studies and ministry training.、Uh, they provided pastoral care and shared the gospel with anyone who was willing to listen.、Um, but a constant stress for the group was how they were going to have enough money to pay for their staff.、Um, they were pretty much fully funded by foreign donations、um, from outside the country. And if finding donors wasn't hard enough,、um, international transfers could be heavily taxed. And then, even worse, the local government they lived under was quite corrupt. So, precious dollars that were generously given would often end up in the pocket of some dodgy bureaucrat. So, my friend's dilemma was this:、um, as Christians, we're commanded to pay taxes.、Um, in case you didn't know that. Um, in Romans chapter thirteen, verses six and seven, look it up. You'll see there that、uh, Christians are expected to pay taxes to the government.、Um, but for my friend, that may have meant that there wasn't enough money to keep the ministry going. So his dilemma was: could he just look past this part of God's word、um, and say it didn't apply to people living under a corrupt government? Now that was his dilemma about obeying and listening to God's word. Now let's bring it a little bit closer to home, and I'll start with you guys.、Um, can you think of a time when you were reluctant or afraid、uh, to listen to God's word and obey it? You mind if I go first, Gemma? Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs>、um, uh, when you asked that question, Paul, I was thinking about、uh, this is something I shared on the Chip Lunch podcast in one of the very early episodes was. Um, a regret of not、uh, living in out as living as a Christian、um, in later high school, as much as I wish I did, and I think,、um, and I don't think I was. For one of the reasons of that was because I was not reading God's Word. I wasn't re- reading my Bible very much, and so perhaps didn't know how to live that out. And I think that I was perhaps 
one of the reasons was just still too worried about what other people would think. Mm. And I remember this time that we went on a, a camp in year 11, I think. And it was, um, they, were, they were playing this game where you're like, if you've, you're all sat in a circle and if you were something, a particular characteristic was called out, you had to run into the middle and then run back for some reason. I can't remember what the game was. Someone might be able to identify it in the comments. But one, uh, and if you, if you, oh, that's right. If you're the last one to get back to your seat, you have to go into the middle and, and call out another thing. And it's kind of like a getting to know you game, I think. Yeah. And then some, one of the girls, uh, got into the middle and then said if you're a churchy yeah run to the middle if you're in if you're a churchy and then i was like i remember like as she asked that question i had this thing in my head am i going to go or not yeah. and that was and then i i did but then you spent the whole of the camp being called a churchy because of that very thing so i think there's like a lot of factors involved were, were, the, only, were the only one or what was there no there was a few there's quite a few of us that either went to gaimi anglican or janali anglican right. church at the time uh, to youth group so I wasn't the only one, right. um, and I think that's what made it easier. Was that I wasn't going to be the only one, <laughs> so that made running the out into the middle of the realize, oh, there's yeah. no one else here. Yeah, they're like kill him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, that's that's probably a time that I think that I probably have struggled to obey God's word, even as much as I wanted to. On reflection, mm. Mm. yeah, I think I had some similar experiences, um, particularly coming out of school and starting university. I think um, I had this one lecturer that wanted to find out what everyone's political views were. So he set up this scale where it was like, if you agree with this, you go on this side. And if you disagree, you go on this side and you can stay in the middle. And there were lots of questions um, that brought up a whole different manner of things that um, included, I guess, like sexuality, uh, things about babies and just like all kinds of things that are political and intense. And um, I think there are a few of those questions the biblical kind of view on those things was not necessarily the, the fashionable choice and mm. that I would be kind of standing among a few who were a bit outnumbered by the rest of the class. Um, but I think one of the things that I found really hard doing that was like, do I just stand in the middle because I just want to be indifferent or do I actually go, oh, I'm a Christian and I want to follow and listen to God's kind of instructions and go I do agree with this because this is what the Bible says or I disagree with this because that's what the Bible says um so I think yeah and I guess trying to make friends in a university setting anytime you kind of have some kind of political discussion um it can be quite hard when you're not on the same page with everyone else and um you can feel like there's a bit of a barrier in building relationship with people and I think that's one of the things that has kind of held me back or made me a bit reluctant sometimes. Mm, intense moment. Like it's a little bit like the circle game I was talking about. It's yeah. like it's a good way of turning everyone against you. It's oh, just like totally. what are your political views and then if there's a majority one way or the other. Yeah, mm. you're out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we don't need to think very hard to understand that the world we live in and the Bible that we follow are often at odds mm. uh, very, very regularly. I mean, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, humanity has had a bias to ignore and disobey, not listen and obey, um, God's word. And even as Christians, uh, we continue to struggle to fully submit um, to God's word. Um, so it was, it's a struggle today. And as we've just heard uh, in the reading that was read out earlier, um, it was a struggle in the time of the judges as well, uh, as Barak struggled to um, obey God's word and command to go and fight the Canaanites. 
So before we continue, why don't I open in prayer um, that right now that we might have hearts and minds that are keen to hear and obey God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that we have the opportunity to hear your word, um, that it, uh, as we read it, we can hear you speak loudly and clearly. And so, Lord, uh, we do pray that as uh, we unpack part of this, your word today, uh, that you would give us the ears to hear, the minds to understand, and, and the hearts to obey uh, your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this is our second week uh, in Judges, a new part of the Bible that we're looking at. Uh, and so just a, a, a little bit of a brief reminder to say, uh, remind us where, we, where we're at uh, at this period of time in the Bible. Uh, where we're at is that uh, Israel had entered into the promised land under Joshua uh, and the command for the people of Israel was to drive out the nations that were already in this land, the land of Canaan. Uh, this was actually part of a judgment upon them uh, for generations they had been practicing evil and so uh, they were being judged by God for that. And also the reason to drive them out was to be a safeguard for Israel to make sure that they didn't actually fall into uh, the false religion of the people around them. Um, however, once Joshua dies, uh, we see the following generations of Israel uh, continuing to struggle uh, to settle in the land properly. And so as we read last week, uh, just as, as a reminder, chapter 2 verse 10 here on the screen, after Joshua's generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So sadly, the generations that followed Joshua had forgotten about God and what he had done for Israel. And so uh, throughout the book of Judges, the situation is this. We see Israel living in the midst of of Canaanite nations and mixing with them to the point of intermarrying with them and even serving their gods. Now, in spite of all this, God remains in control. So when Israel sins, the misfortune that follows is not an accident. It's actually the Lord God who hands them over to their enemies to be oppressed. And it's also God who is moved to pity, uh, who then sends judges to deliver Israel from her bondage when they cry out to him. And so we get that cycle that we were introduced to last week, a cycle of sin, uh, which then leads to an oppression, a judgment by God. Then uh, the people cry out to help for him to, to, to save them. Uh, in his mercy, he sends a judge to deliver them. And then in that period of time, in the lifetime of that judge, there is peace and everything's going well until everyone moves on, passes away from that generation. And then we get the cycle again of sin, and that's the way it goes. But even worse than that, it's not a simple repeated cycle that sort of stays flat. Uh, we read this in chapter 2, verse 19. But when the judge died, uh, the people returned to the ways uh, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshipping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So what we're looking at here is not just a circle, but a spiral downward. Now, how are you going? Looking forward to getting into this book? Uh, keen to read on? Well, uh, if it was just focused on Israel, it would be thoroughly depressing. Um, but thankfully, uh, God doesn't walk away from his people 
And it's his saving work through the various judges that makes this part of the Old Testament so compelling, so interesting. Uh, Indeed, as we start to look at a few of these judges, we'll see that God's salvation can come in some very unexpected ways. Um, So before we come to the reading today of Deborah and Barak, uh, I want to touch on the first three judges that were actually introduced in the previous chapter, chapter three. Three guys, Othniel, Ehud and Shamgar. Uh, They're not on the popular names list, surprisingly. Um, But you never know. You you, you might want to start if you want to name your kids these names. Um, They're interesting characters to say the least. Um, So let's start with them. Um, In the first two stories that uh, we read in chapter 3, we have Othniel and Ehud. And we see that cycle that I mentioned earlier almost uh, uh, to the letter. Israel sins, then they're punished, then they call out to God and God raises up a a deliverer, there's peace and then the generation moves on and dies out. It's to the letter. So the cycle with uh, Othniel and Ehud is the same but that's where the similarities end. So starting with Othniel, uh, we look at him and and we can see that he's a very satisfying uh, choice for a judge. Uh, He comes from the right tribe, the tribe of Judah uh, the most successful tribe up to this point in time. He's related by birth and marriage to Caleb. Caleb, who was Joshua's right-hand man, co-leader who brought Israel into the land. Um, and, and we see that he leads Israel to victory on the battlefield. So that's Othniel, uh, almost like the template for what's going to come on uh, throughout the book. But then we read uh, and introduced to Ehud, uh, who is quite different. So... Um, we do read that he kills the foreign king, which then leads to the defeat of Moab, who were the oppressing people. But how he does this is very different. He does it via deception. Now, sadly, we don't have time to look at his story today. Uh, it wouldn't be out of place in a current-day spy movie. Um, but in comparison to Othniel, Ehud is uh, a troubling, a sort of a, a scandalous figure. From the outset, we're told that he's left-handed, um, which you might think, well, that's strange. Um, but at that time, to be left-handed was to be considered disabled, um, even a bit defective. I'm sorry to all our left-handed friends that are out there. Are either of you left-handed? No. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> we had a big chat about it at community group. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, had a, we had one left-handed person in there. I was quite upset. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, thankfully, we don't think like that anymore. Um, but uh, it, it's a reason why we've introduced to him as being left-handed. It's a bit sneaky or a bit different, a bit unexpected. Um, not only that, he acts uh, alone in secret. Um, no one really knows uh, that he goes ahead and kills the, um, the, the foreign king. Um, he actually does that all alone. So you could almost call him the lone left-handed assassin. Um, and so you, a, a troubling sort of, of, of uh, figure, yet he brings about God's uh, salvation. And then likewise, uh, we come to Shemgar um, at the end of chapter 3, and he too's a bit troubling because we're told so little about him. Just one verse. I've got it here on the screen for you. Verse 31. After Ehud came Shemgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. A guy, he strikes down 600 people with what amounts to a stick. I mean, uh, who is this guy? <laughs> Where has he come from? 
Um, we're not given any tribal connections, which could even beg the questions, was he even an Israelite? Could it be that even at this point, God's going to be using non-Israelites to save Israel? Well, who knows? It's a, it's a big question mark. So at this point, we've only just started the story of Judges, and yet we're discovering the nature of God's salvation. When God acts to save his people, it doesn't always appear to be right or understandable, um, as it might be with Othniel. Sometimes God's saving work can seem to be offensive or incomprehensible, as it is with Ehud and Shamgar. Okay, so with these guys there setting the groundwork, we now turn to Deborah and Barak. So, chapter 4 begins with that same old cycle. Israel sins, they then find themselves under oppression, then they cry out to God for deliverance. And then we are introduced to Deborah in verse 4. Now, there's three things I want you to notice about Deborah. Let's see if you can pick them out um, here on screen, verses 4 and 5. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Okay, three things. Firstly, we read that she's a prophet. Um, so she has uh, the role of speaking God's word directly to Israel. Um, now, the only really unusual aspect about that is that in the book of Judges, um, she's the only judge of the 12 judges um, who acts also as a prophet. The second thing we're told is that she was actually leading Israel at this time. Um, now, this was typical of the judges we've seen. They led Israel. But um, while the ones before that we've just looked at were men who have exerted their authority by military means and by war, uh, Deborah here, it seems, is to have led through her wisdom, her uh, judicial prowess. Um, she sets up shop under a palm tree, and people come to her with their disputes, uh, and she helps them to work through their disagreements. Now, the third thing we observe, uh, most obviously, but also most strikingly, is that she's a woman. Now, that's meant to take us by surprise. She's an unlikely leader. Now, there's nothing clear in the text about the unexpectedness of having a female leader, uh, but this is happening at a time when male leadership was, well, the normal thing that you'd expect. Now, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of the suitability of female leadership amongst God's people. We're not going to go there. Uh, that's, and that's not what the passage is highlighting. Um, the point seems to be that when God saves, he uses surprising and un unexpected means to do that. And, and that's the same theme right throughout the whole book. And I think that's the way we look at, at Deborah at this point in time. Not that she's unsuitable, just that it's surprising that she's there. So, just as we've come to understand Deborah, um, we notice that she doesn't direct the military action herself. Um, she's simply the messenger in this context, and her role as a prophet is passing on the word that she has received from the Lord. And so she calls for Barak. Barak appears to be the go-to guy uh, for sorting out skirmishes. Uh, with the Canaanite forces. Um, he's, a, he's commanded to gather 10,000 soldiers and then go wait on a nearby mountain. God promises to lure uh, the opposing forces to the Kishon River where he will deliver the Canaanites uh, into Barak's hand. Now, the command is clear. 
and also the promise. The Lord will go ahead of Barak and give him victory. But Barak's response is unsettling. Have a look at verse 8 here, chapter 4, verse 8. Barak said to her, said to Deborah, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, I think Deborah's words here in verse 9 make it clear that Barak has no right to lay down conditions. Now, just to be a little bit understanding for Barak's situation right here this time, um, circumstances would have been uh, complicated for him. Um, Firstly, the enemy was powerful. We're reminded a number of times in the passage that they were armed with 900 iron chariots. They couldn't move these people because they were very well equipped uh, as an army. And then furthermore, things weren't fitting to the usual pattern. Um, Previously, um, the judge would would lead the battle. But here the judge has sort of outsourced deliverance um, to him. And so you can understand why Barak wanted Deborah to be there. Was he wanting to have a hotline to God to make sure that everything was going okay on the the battlefield? Um, Or was he just wanting to make sure that um, the judge was there amongst him? Whatever the case, Deborah's response is saying that he should have been able to trust God. Yet by laying down a condition, Barak is calling into question the certainty of God's promise. So Deborah will go with him, but there's going to be a consequence. The consequence of that is that Barak's doubt will mean he will not get the honour of victory. Okay, so with all that lead up to the battle... We then come to just two short verses where we're told the Lord defeats the foreign army. If you blink, you would miss it. And then conversely, we're actually given much more detail about the flight of the Canaanite army general, Sisera. Now, uh, if you, you've probably seen this scene in the movies. You know the scene in the movies where the, the baddie, the ultimate baddie, is almost defeated but he's on the run. He still might just get away. And you see them desperately trying to get away. If you can picture that, um, you can picture this desperate uh, scene of the fleeing villain. Um, Sisera uh, flees on foot, jumps off his chariot and runs away. Uh, and he thinks that he's, he's found refuge. He breathes a sigh of relief that he thinks he's found refuge in the tent of an ally. But in actual fact, he's deceived as he's tired, given a cup of warm milk, um, and falls asleep under a blanket. But then he's murdered unexpectedly by Jael. Now, it's all a little bit unsettling, don't you think? Um, Maybe there could be a nice way to explain away Jael's behaviour as maybe... um, doing the right thing but in the wrong way that was quite deceptive and tricky to do this. Uh, He was thinking that she was an ally but in fact she wasn't going to do that. Um, We could sort of try to justify the action. The issue is that the Bible seems to commend her for what she's done. 
In chapter 5, uh, as Deborah sings about this whole event, celebrating what takes place, special honour is given in her song. In fact, the biggest chunk of her song is dedicated to Jael as being the most blessed of tent-dwelling women. And so then we actually, as we read on in chapter 5, we actually um, get a little bit more information about Sisera. Um, I'm afraid he was a real nasty piece of work. Uh, His usual practice was to conquer people and then go about raping and pillaging them as he he celebrated his his conquest. Um, He was an evil tyrant who actually deserved what he got. Uh, And so what we're to look at here is this great military leader with all of his chariots meets his end at the hands of a woman using an everyday household item a tent peg. The stereotype today might have been him getting whacked over the head with an iron. Um, The whole scenario is meant to humiliate him, but the whole scenario is meant to surprise us. Once again, God is using shocking, unpredictable, unconventional means to bring about victory over sin and the powers of sin. And one thing as we read through this, we've got to see that God is unmistakably at the centre of this whole event. Um, it was his initiative that gave the word of prophecy to Deborah. God had gone before Barak uh, into battle. He's, God is the one who draws the Canaanite car- um, chariots out onto the river plain. In chapter 5, uh, we're given more details about that whole victory. Uh, chapter 5, verse 4, it says here, When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water. Um, then later in verse 20 from the heavens the stars fought from their courses they fought against Sisera the river Kishon swept them away the age-old river the river of Kishon you see the more detail we've been given is that God had caused flooding rains to come and hit the river which led to flood which meant the chariots got bogged and shut down and so we're just to see I think we're we're meant to see the echoes of the exodus and the passing through the Red Sea as God's people were pursued by a great army, powerful army of Egypt, and yet they get washed away by the sea. And just like in that day, after that event, the prophet praises God in song um, for what he has done, just like Deborah uh, has a a lengthy song praising God um, for what he has done. And so as we read through Judges, um, the leaders get seemingly get more unlikely and their methods of gaining victory become more and more ludicrous. And um, so our sense of dependence on God uh, actually only grows. We actually to see that he alone is the one who will save his people. He is the one who's shown time and time again that he is worth following and that his promises are sure. Um, and that's Barak's mistake, wasn't it? Uh, it was to question God's promise. Um, and so that question that we started out with at the beginning of the talk was that we too can struggle to obey God's word. But we have the great blessing of Christians today being able to marvel at the attitude of Jesus, who was obedient to, far, to the Father no matter the cost. Right, right before um, his crucifixion, what do we hear Jesus say? This is coming from John chapter 12. He says, verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. No conditional ultimatums, just perfect obedience leading to the ultimate glory and honour. As we read Judges today, we can't help but look towards the cross, can we? God's ultimate work of salvation, the crucifixion of Jesus, um, which from a human point of view seems to be offensive, incomprehensible, foolish. Um, The idea of God laying down his life for his enemies is more than surprising. It is totally shocking and unexpected. And so, just like Deborah, as we look back upon God's saving work, uh, we're compelled to praise God and to honour his glorious name. Why don't we do that now in prayer? Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your amazing salvation work. We Thank you for the way in which you've worked in our hearts and turned us from being enemies into friends and your children. Lord, we thank you for the amazing work of Jesus on the cross who was so obedient to you that his example be an inspiration to us that we might walk closely with you, listening to your word and seeking to obey it all of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for that, Paul. That was really encouraging. Um, Yeah, I love how you kind of have framed that, I guess, um, growing up with like looking at the Old Testament, it's always a little bit intimidating seeing Mm. how God can do these like big scary things and um, how there can just be these really like crazy and surprising stories. And I love how um, all of it does point to Jesus and how his death on the cross was also like a big like and almost I guess surprising choice and I I really love um, that connection between those two things Mm. Um, I guess I just wanted to ask about how um, I guess in our society some of those things are not very easy to swallow Um, Mm. so I guess like how would you kind of go about talking to people that um, I guess aren't Christian or would maybe struggle with this kind of um, Mm. kind of actions how do we kind of talk um about it kind of I guess supporting and like going oh God is God is good and this is his yeah, plan and he's in yeah. control I guess yeah it is there's this uh, a lot of the stories we can become a little bit um, fam- familiar with and mm. we've we've heard them a lot for a long time if we've been around church long enough and then um, you, you see comedians get up and lambast the the yeah. like uh, look at listen to this and uh, mm. and she drove a tent peg through his head and you think Oh, okay. Um, <coughs> yeah, not trying to be uh, funny. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the teaching can be uh, confronting. Mm. Um, I think, uh, especially when it comes to you thinking like the command for holy war and those sorts of elements, is, is that the ideas you're picking up? Yeah. Those, yeah. Um, encourage us uh, to, to uh, keep gathering together in community groups. We've got some great. Uh, complementary material that's going alongside these talks and there's some uh, a great little summary about that uh, in the in the Bible study material that we're using um, to summarize some of the points out of that uh, is that uh, this is this is a very particular time mm. and a particular place um, and there was a very clear and particular reason why this was happening um, so uh, Christianity is not a religion of war um, uh, and so it's only at a particular time uh, where God was judging the evil 
of, a, of uh, some nations, again, at a particular time and place. Um, it doesn't come naturally to God. It's not like I think that, that he just has a, a bloodlust to do that all the time. Um, uh, there's also the fact that um, God's ways end up being really good ways. Mm. And so God still in his mercy allows people who willingly want to turn to him offers immediate forgiveness and and welcome into his family uh, and that's something which we see all um, all the time right through the old testament and and of course lastly um we see the amazing work on the cross which is god dealing with with evil and sin and brokenness mm. and taking it upon himself uh, ultimately um to save his people and so uh it can be framed in a way i think that actually is, shows that it's um, God is a God of love. Yeah. Um, there are unsettling aspects of the, of the Bible, um, but rather than just simply shut off at that very first minute, it's trying to appreciate what, what it's saying. Yeah, I think that's um, really important to look at the context as well. Yeah, it's, that's right. That's yeah. right. And um, um, <coughs> and it's and and it's important, I think, when we talk to our friends, is, is to acknowledge that. Is to say, yeah, that, that is that is um, difficult to hear. Mm. Um, uh, but I think we never want to just leave it at that point. We want to say that yeah. God has dealt with the problem of evil and sin and brokenness um, himself on the cross. Um, he, he takes that and actually brings about good. Mm. Um, yeah, I really love that. Joel, do you have any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, well, there was one question I wouldn't mind asking, Paul, is that, um, and you've actually brought up a couple of the things I was going to talk about already in your previous answer to Gemma, was... Um, at community group, and we've been studying the material, but um, we talked about the cycle of sin that you mentioned. So, you know, how Israel is disobedient. They cry out to God. God, uh, God provides a judge, and then the judge dies. So Israel forgets and becomes disobedient again. They cry out to God, etc., etc. It keeps going on. But you're saying that the Israelites are actually in a downward spiral <laughs> rather than just being returned back to normal. Um, I was just wondering, uh, because in one of the, com- the questions in community group this week, it was about... It's talking about how did because uh, we were doing chapter three mm. um, was um, the stories of Ehud and Othniel how much did they match with that cycle of sin that we just talked about? I was just wondering, as now, do we match that cycle? Do we do we do you think that we continually to be disobedient, cry out to God? God has already provided a judge for us, that probably the ultimate judge in mm. Jesus. But then, do we just keep forgetting that? And and why why do we do that? Um, yeah, uh, sadly, when we turn to Christ, we don't instantly become perfect and, and, and we, we are changed. Uh, so I think we're in a better position than, uh, than the people of the Old Testament. Um, that is interesting. We, we, we can look at the people of God in the Old Testament and go, oh, tut, tut. And sort these of, silly people. Yeah, what are they doing? And, <laughs> yeah. and realise actually, um, uh, there were, as much as they might have seen some incredible things, um, uh, they didn't really have the spirit of God like we do. Mm. So there was the, the promises of uh, a renewed heart, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone was still yet to come. The spirit it was was active and actually we, we can see it all through judges. The spirit comes upon each judge. The judges, yeah. Um, and uh, and that enables them to lead and deliver. Um, so the Holy Spirit's there, um, but it's after the 
death and resurrection of Christ and his work that the Spirit comes in a, in a special way, the fulfilment of the promise even throughout the Old Testament that um, changes our hearts. Uh, but we still works in progress and, mm. and um, uh, th- that's, God is far more patient than we are <laughs> so, and that's very thankful for that. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a struggle that um, we don't want to just keep coming back to the same spot. Um, because if that happens, I guess we're sort of saying, well, are we really wanting to change um, if we keep coming back to the same issue that we might say, oh, I'm struggling with sin. Um, um, the struggle means that we can, we can be moving forward and actually have, have victory. Um, maybe not total victory, but some partial victory, encouraging signs that we are changing. Um, and um, I think that happens if, we, if we're genuinely walking with Christ. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection before that, that yes, we do have, we now, because of Jesus, we also have the spirit and everyone that believes in uh, Jesus has the spirit rather than just being perhaps appointed by the, the way that they were in Judges. So mm-hmm. it's almost like that can help us to stop falling into that cycle as much. I know um, there's the times that we've, you know, we probably all experience it where we feel prompted by the spirit to not do something or to do something. And I, I wonder if that some of the, the Israelites didn't have that because they didn't. Not all of them had the spirit at a particular time. So I, I hadn't actually made that connection to think that actually we have we have a, someone that is with us all the time to prevent that cycle from to actually falling into that downward spiral that you talked about. Yeah, yeah. Is is that ability of, of being uh, renewed and and, and rebirthed uh, in our in our heart mm. um, that uh, washing of renewal that we we hear about promised in the New Testament. Uh, working now in the hearts of every believer and and God taking up residence in us and we are the temple now. Whereas again, in the Old Testament was all sort of there in, co- in stone and concrete. It was, it was, the temple was there. You, it, you physically could, could, could go and see it. Um, and at times I sort of look and think, oh gee, it would have been pretty amazing to watch that happen. But the, the speed at which we see them fall away, you realise maybe they're... The short memory um, was was a real um, disability. Mm. Yeah, think that's what the the great thing about being a panelist is that I get to really <laughs> really focus on those questions, and you've yeah. taught me something there. So thank you so much for that. Well, yeah, well that's epic. I'm feeling super <laughs> encouraged. Um, Just like your jumper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so colourful. Um, <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Paul. That was uh, really awesome, and thanks, Joel, for your excellent contributions. Uh, we'll be back very shortly. How awesome is it that we can pray to our Lord God whenever we want? And how awesome is it that we can pray together as a church? Join me now as I lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a gracious God, slow to anger and quick to forgive. You are so powerful yet so kind, so strong yet so gentle and loving. You are so mighty so just and so holy. You showed, you showed so much creativity that we can see every time we walk outside into your creation. We thank you for the drenching of rain that you are pouring on our land at the moment. You are amazing. Thank you that you are everything that we need and may we aspire to be like you in our daily lives, kind and loving and patient. 
Thank you, Lord, for our community groups. Thanks for the chance for our groups to meet together online and in person so that we can support and encourage each other. Thank you for the safe arrival of little Eloise Atkin. We thank you for all the wonderful people who have joined in the Working Bee last Sunday to take care of our factory. We thank you for Bev and Pete and all those who regularly clean and organise our factory. Thank you for everyone who works tirelessly for the gospel. And may scripture in schools resume soon and all who hear be stirred to turn to you. We thank you that we can begin meeting together in person soon. We thank you for creating us for relationships with you and each other. And we ask that you will help us to be driven to continually love and care for everyone in our church community and our local community. Please, Lord, keep us safe. Keep us safe from sickness. Keep us safe from the evil one. Keep us safe from anything that will draw us away from you. Lord, keep us safe from worry and fearing the future. Help us to take comfort in your words when you command us in Isaiah 41 to fear not because you are with us. May we not be dismayed for you are our God. You will strengthen us. You will help us. You will uphold us with your righteous hand. Lord God, please give our government wisdom and love for all Australians as the government makes big decisions. May their decisions be what is best for our country and may they be upright and honest in all they do. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Um, well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been really great to continue our series in Judges and uh, thanks, Paul, for a great sermon. Um, I'm back again with Katie and Joel. Uh, Katie, you were at the Working Bee uh, last weekend. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what went down? I heard that you're very proud of a particular area in the church. Well, thank you for asking, Um So a bunch of us came and... Um, helped get the church ready for back to face-to-face gatherings and it was lots of fun. I tackled the kids' cupboards um, with a few of the other kids' leaders. Literally? And yeah. It, there, was, there was lots of stuff in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, was very, it was very soothing and a bit cathartic going through, throwing out, organising, using mm. my label mm. maker, Mary Kondo. categorising. Mm. I home edit. Oh, it's called the it's home very edit. Different. Mm, mm. Very different. Yeah, Those on like, Netflix. Both on Netflix. Uh, it was a it was a joyful time. If you want to binge organisational content? Oh yes, <laughs> it brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. But it means that our kids' rooms are backed and ready for all the kids to come back, and I'm so excited about yeah. kids' ministry going back face to face. But yeah, 
Well, as it was really exciting coming in today and seeing that the church actually looks like a church again. The seats are all set up just right over there past my uh, vision. I can see all the chairs and the pews ready to go. So that is super exciting because very soon we're going to be returning back to face-to-face gatherings. Uh, Joel, did you want to fill us in on what's happening with the digital stuff that's going on Absolutely. at the moment? So like you said, the physical gatherings are the 3rd to the 5th of December. That's when we go back face-to-face. Prior to that, we are going to have a couple of trial gatherings. But with the digital... Um, content that we're putting out. Shock Absorber and Chip Lunch stays exactly the same. That'll be a weekly podcast that'll just come out continuously. We will do, uh, this is our second last one of this style of format. Uh, the next weekend will be the last one of that. And then from there, we're going to be practicing uh, live streaming the services. So the second trial gathering at Kirawi on Saturday night, it was, we're going to start live streaming that as a practice. We might have a few bits, bits of content before and after it, but it'll be mainly focused on um, Sorovol at Kirawi just to see how we can get the live stream going. And then from the time that we go back to face-to-face gathering, we'll also have uh, live streaming on Saturdays and Sundays. So um, that's how it's going to be uh, playing out for the rest of the time. But Shogazorba and Chip Lunch are still going. So Awesome. And there's a new there's new episodes of those podcasts. So you have to check them out. Um, and you also got the Soul Revival merch. Just rep that again. Bring it up. Yes, please. Get on that next week. Was it? That yeah, it's this, going live. Th- like so, this week coming <laughs> from a probably midweek, we'll have the site live. Excellent. So you yeah. want to get on that so you can be Flash ready, decked here, out for when we get back to uh, being face to face. Absolutely. Um, but I think that's everything. So um, I am going to finish off with a one way. Thank you.